She's not even looking at him. Yeah. Um, he's looking at her while she's looking at somebody else. That book's got some. That book's got a whole other set of marital issues. issues. There. Yeah, she's attracted to someone at work, and her husband is clueless of her dissatisfaction. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. And every week here on The Debrief, Pastor Matt brings real answers to tough questions from the Bible. I'm your good old pal, Justin Pardee. I'm your friend, Stephanie Keene. And sitting here, we got Pastor Matt Brown. How you feeling today, buddy? Pretty good. You ready to bring some uh, excitement? Or... I'm ready to bring some theological heat. Ooh, that Ooh. sounds uh, a little bit threatening, but also uh, ex- exciting. <laughs> I mean, that is encouraging. Exciting as well. <laughs> well, you know who's ready to bring some uh, true encouragements and encouraging heat is uh, our friends and fans and wonderful listeners who keep leaving us awesome reviews. Uh, now, we're going to jump into some awesome questions and things like that, but we got to celebrate Have we ever got a bad review? Um, we can't tell you that. Never. We've not received Are a single serious? bad review. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, not on iTunes. I don't even think on Facebook. Hmm. I'm surprised. Well, people are our listeners are fans, yeah. and uh, that's what we they're they're true supporters. That is odd because I mean, if the debrief you know continues to grow, eventually we're, we're going to get some haters. We're going to get some haters. Yeah, maybe they just have their own little channels at the corners of the internet where mm-hmm. they uh, post that information, or maybe they just save it for my Twitter account. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do you love you know having what? haters on Twitter. I do. We'll put. We'll uh, if you if you've got an if we get a negative review, you guys will be the first yeah. to hate, hear. About hate it. mail is still mail. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we got another uh, five star iTunes review, although. This is a good review with a bad name. This name scared me a little bit. It's Legion 009. Whoa. Which I think if you've read the book of Luke, you know Legion is a lot of demons. So hopefully that's not you, my man. He says, I listened to podcasts to put me to sleep. I tried this podcast. And the next thing I knew, it was 3 a.m. And I was wide awake with my tablet researching and discussing, researching the discussion, which annoyed my wife. This is a <laughs> 6 p.m. podcast and not a 1 p.m. Pod, 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. podcast. So Amen. Good stuff there. Thank you for that one. And then Nikki Marganona wrote in on our Facebook page. She says, I love listening to Pastor Matt share his wisdom about the Bible and Justin and Stephanie's, hmm, hmm. after the really thought-provoking answers. Love you guys, and I'm so thankful for this podcast. Yeah, that's cool. Share it with your friends. Invite some friends to listen to the debrief. Nikki, just so you know, those hmms are are genuine. They just, mm-hmm. just kind of happen, and sometimes they happen in in synchronicity. And usually when they do, we kind of look at each other and go, oh man, nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. Okay. So before we jump into the questions, this is awesome. We got some business to cover. Business with a D uh, before we get into it. Stephanie. Yes. So coming up next summer and the summer after that, we are traveling as a church. If you would like to travel to Turkey, Greece, and Rome with Pastor Matt and start to see some of the cities that we are talking about as we walk through Acts, we would love to get you signed up for that. We're also going to Israel in the summer of 2018. Pastor Matt's going to be leading that trip as well. If you want to get more information about either of those trips, check out move.sc slash travel. Right. Exactly. This whole series of uh, shows so far this year has just been getting you ready to travel around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about Thessalonica, and I believe that's one of the cities we will visit. Ooh. Oh, see? Exactly. And there Athens. Whoa. Make hey. it real. Oh, there you go. Excellent. Okay, so here's the next thing. We have got a, a pretty awesome giveaway we are excited about. It's a, our first debrief swag hydro flask giveaway. So uh, we just got a couple of 20-ounce hydro flasks, which if you don't know what they are... I don't know what they are. They're the most wonderful container for liquids that you can possibly they're imagine. They're like the it water bottle right now. Yeah, they're so they're so hot right now. Or they're so cold right now, depending on what you put yeah. inside. Whichever you put inside, though, it stays hot or cold. And when you day. touch it, you won't know that it's so hot right now. When you I just hear have flask, to know when you're hot. Though, I think alcoholic. You know what? Well, you you definitely probably too. could put That's that in. That's a hydro flask? It's like oh. that. That's a, uh, he's got an uh, imitation hydro flask. 
Whoa. Wow. Well, we've got we've got Sorry. two 20 ounce hydro flasks. Uh, we are super excited to give them away. They are custom themed. We custom colored to match the debrief. Whoa. So they're black, white, red, and gray. They're super, super sweet looking. And we've got two of them. We are ready to give away on the show. So if you want to enter our giveaway, uh, all you got to do is like the debrief on Facebook, post a selfie on Facebook using the hashtag debrief swag you in your debrief shirt and uh, be sure to tag the debrief Facebook page in your comments so that we can uh, see your post and your friends can find the debrief. We wanted to uh, do this first giveaway for those of you guys who are already our most loyal supporters. So we know that you've got that debrief shirt action going on so you can wear that. And uh, uh, that's awesome. How come you don't pride? have a hydro flask? Why don't I have a hydro flask? Yeah, you drink, you drink more water than a camel. <laughs> I do. I'll, I'll upgrade. I have a, I have a swell bottle. Got the Nalgene. The hydrofask, I feel like, is the seriously. You of drink more water than anyone I See, know. I upgraded. This is forty ounces. Yeah, but you don't drink water. She literally drinks water all day long. This I is do. my second hydration. One of is I'm one of probably... my core values, man. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> true. Listen, I want to get street cred. Is that how much you've had so far today? I'm on. I'm definitely in my sixtieth of ounces. I'm in my sixtieth okay, of ounces. Okay, I've already drank. Okay, that she's thing. varsity team drink with drinking water. You're like not even freshman. Yeah, you can try out, but I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you, she is always drinking. Okay, I want you to start, I think she has a problem you start noticing this. <laughs> well, hey, we're going to pick two winners, and we are going to announce them on our November 1st show. So if you want to get in on that action, post a selfie on our Facebook page. Use the hashtag DebriefSwag. Uh, and if you want uh, all those details you got lost in the conversation and debate about these uh, different water-containing beverages, you can get all the, uh, the details about the giveaway in the show notes. You can find those online at www.debrief.show. Thirty-six. Very nice. And coming up, we would love to start getting some questions in front of Pastor Matt on the topic of politics and voting, knowing that this is a very interesting time for our nation. So if you would want to send in those questions over the next week, we will get those in front of Pastor Matt, and we will do a special episode of The Debrief specifically on politics and voting. Exactly. And uh, you're going to call that show Prepare to be Offended? Yeah, I think so. Excellent. Politics and Voting prepare to be offended. Well, hey, let's jump into some questions. We're going to start off with some follow-up questions. We got some off-topic questions, and then we're getting into Acts chapter 17. Okay, so this first question is follow-up from Lewis, and he sent this question in on our Facebook page. He was asking about Acts chapter 16, the very end, and he says, was Paul acting pridefully when he demanded that the Philippian city officials apologize to him face-to-face? And should Christians follow this example and seek justification in situations where they are wronged. Right. So we need to remember that the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. So what that means is it describes what happened. It doesn't necessarily prescribe that this is the way that we need to behave. So whether or not Paul uh, was within uh, his rights to do what he did, um, you know, according to a Roman citizen, absolutely he has those rights. I think Peter uh, in First Peter would suggest strongly, and even Paul in some of his writings, that we need to not always seek to be right. But in this situation, Paul felt like it was the right thing to do. And, you know, Luke doesn't tell us his reasoning behind it or anything like that. I would say this, when in doubt, it's always better to be wronged than to try to seek your rights. And so that's the Christian principle is allow yourself to be wronged. Jesus was wronged. We're going to be wronged. We, we can't um, always get things the way that we want them in this life. And we need to trust that God is watching and paying attention. And in the end... In the next life, God will make it right. That is the gospel. That's that's the reason that we live. That's why we don't repay evil for evil. Um, but we trust that God is watching and paying attention at work, at home, in our lives, no matter where we are. But in this situation, the Apostle Paul chose, because he's a human being and he can do what he wants to do, he chose to stand up for his rights in that situation. I think there's a time to stand up for 
your rights, certainly. Um, for sure, when it involves uh, the abuse of others or, or mm-hmm. you know, it involves other people. I think it's one thing to say, well, this is doing harm to me and that's okay. Um, so it's one thing for people to say things and do things to me. If it's to my wife or my family, that's something else. And so that's kind of how I look at it is it's like, you know, say whatever you want about me, that's fine. But when it's my wife and my kids or even the people of my church that I'm called to protect and love, I want to make sure that they're okay. So um, overall thinking is it's better to be wronged than to try to be right. And I think if you live that way, you're going to be a happier person in marriage, in life, in your friendships, um, because I've learned the hard way that you can be right and still be wrong. So, <laughs> and all the married guys said, amen. Yes. All right. Well, this next follow-up question comes from Joey. And he says that in the first few verses of Acts 17, Paul arrives at the synagogue, as was his custom, and goes back on three consecutive Sabbath days while in Thessalonica. It seems a seventh day of rest is an extremely important command. In Luke 23, 56, they even rested before finishing Jesus's burial preparation. So my question is, are we truly getting rest by picking a day that suits our needs rather than the day that was commanded by God and practiced all throughout the Old and New Testament? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And thank you for that. So yeah, the Apostle Paul utilizes the Sabbath to evangelize Jews. That's his purpose. So he knows they're going to gather. They don't know about Jesus Christ. So he takes advantage of that um, holy day because he knows they're going to be gathered so that he can share the gospel. He's not there just to observe the Sabbath. He's there to preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that we need to understand. This is what Acts 15 teaches us. Gentiles, that's all three of us um, and our wonderful sound guy, we're all Mm -hmm. Gentiles. Um, We don't have to be Jewish. But here's also the gospel. Jews don't have to be Gentiles. So there is the Abrahamic covenant that's really solidified in the Mosaic covenant. You say, what is that? The Ten Commandments, the Mosaic covenant, Mm -hmm. which is given to the people of Israel, which was the binding law that led their nation. We don't live in a country that is led by God. I know that's hard for a lot of Christians to understand, but the the bottom line is, you know, our country is a federalistic system that is really led by both believers and non-believers. It has some Judeo-Christian values, but it has some non-Judeo-Christian values, and it's really a a conglomeration of a lot of ideas um, that really make up Western thought. So here's the deal. If you're a Jew, this is what I would say. You need to observe the Sabbath. It's part of the Mosaic Covenant. You're not bound to do that, but I would encourage you to do that because I don't think it helps you evangelize your Jewish people if you separate from them. So I would continue to do that. As Gentiles, we don't, we, we're not a part of that covenant. How are we drawn into the kingdom? The answer is because of the Lord's day. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he opened the door for Gentiles everywhere to be a part of this new kingdom that he is building. And so the creative act in Genesis... Um, is a creative act of six days. God did things for six days. On the seventh day, he rested. What's interesting is Jesus Christ rose on the seventh day, introducing a new creative act, a new creation. He is the firstborn of a new creation. And so there's something new that God did. And so Gentiles have historically gathered around the Lord's Day. Now at Sandals Church, we have services on Saturdays, the Sabbath, and we have services on Sundays. We live in a society where I think the most important thing is to get people to church. That's the aim. We want to connect people with God, and God is far more interested in people than he is the day with which they worship him. That's the thing. And so some people can't worship on Saturdays, and some people can't worship on Sundays. And so here's the thing, and we even have Wednesday night services Mm -hmm. at our Woodcrest campus. I want people to gather together for sacred assembly for the purpose of rest and worshiping God. That's the thing that they do. And really what Paul does as we move into the book of Acts we find he did both. He gathers on Saturdays, and he also is going to be gathering on the Lord's Day 
with predominantly Gentiles. So I think that's the, uh, the hard and fast rule there is, you know, if you're a Jew, I would encourage you to do that. But as a Gentile, you are not bound by that. You're not bound by the, um, the uh, Jewish system of gathering for worship on the Sabbath. The principle still stands. Look, don't over- overwork yourself. You need to set aside a day for the Lord for worship and for rest. Good stuff. Okay, so another question comes in from Jacob. He says, I have a boss who is very difficult to work for. He's also done some pretty shady things that the company that we work for knows about, but hasn't taken any disciplinary action. From talking to him, I know that he has absolutely no interest in following Jesus or in even being a decent human being. I've been looking for other jobs, but it looks like I'm stuck here in the meantime. So how can I minister to and bless my boss while I'm here? And how can I fight against being bitter and angry at him all the time? Right. So integrity is his issue. Bitterness is yours. So the first thing you need to do is before you throw the stone at your brother, you need to look at the uh, the speck in your eye, or in this case, the log in your eye. And bitterness is that log. So, you know, everyone falls short of the glory of God. Your boss lacks integrity. You're struggling with bitterness. Here's what you need to do. Do your very best. Work as hard as you possibly can, not for your boss, but for the company. And ultimately, the Bible says for the Lord. So work real hard. Um, I got a Bible study coming out uh, called Identity. You can actually pick it up at Lifeway Christian Bookstores. It comes out, I think, December 17th. And, and one of the chapters I write is about this very issue. We don't work for people. We work for the Lord. And so you need to work your very best. And here's the thing. The Bible says in due time, he'll lift you up. So maybe you can't get another job. Um, it's real easy to get bitter. It's real easy to get upset. Um you know, you don't know what God is going to do, how God is going to use you, maybe potentially to reach this guy. And ultimately, you just need to remember his soul is more important than his job. And so you want to reach his soul. And the best way to do that is through your attitude, through your work ethic, and, you know, encourage him and just say, hey, these things aren't right. Or or, or just say, I'm not comfortable um, making this decision because of who I am and my faith in God. And I, I think that you can stand on that. And, you know, um, if you know, those above him find out, you know, I think what they're going to do is let him go, not you. I mean, you're the kind of employee I would want at Sandals. I don't want people like him who lack integrity and and don't get stuff done and, and break laws and, and moral codes and values. <laughs> right. So um, that's what I would say is hang in there. Don't give in to bitterness. Don't give in to anger because in the end it will ruin you and it may cause you to lose your job. So don't do that and keep looking for another job. You know, we live in a free market society. You don't have to stay there forever. You're not an indentured servant or a slave. So, you know, get the resume out there. Oh, we've got another follow-up question here from Raquel, who says, I have great difficulty making decisions. How should we make decisions if we're afraid to do wrong and we're, when we are not receiving a clear answer of what we should do from God? Yeah, that's a great question. So this weekend in the message, we talked about three types of people in decision-making. Those who are careless, which obviously this would not be our mm-hmm. friend here. Uh, those who are paralyzed, sounds like her, and those who are prideful in their decision-making. So here, here's the number one thing I would say is, and I, this is going to be my answer for almost every solution and problem, get in community. Get in a small group with wise people who love the Lord and who can pray with you through these issues. The most dangerous way to make decisions is by yourself. So get some feedback, get some people who love Jesus and love you and have wisdom to speak into your life. And this is important. Don't just ask people your own age, your own demographic, you know, broaden the scope of influence because um, we need to understand that we can't, we can only learn so much about God by ourselves. God is community. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's things that we can only learn about God in community. And so you need to be in community so that the full person of God can speak to you and through you in this decision-making process. Um, so 
get in community next, you know, dig the scriptures. Is there anything in the Bible that talks about what you're supposed to be doing? I'm going to guess there's probably some personality issues here with you. You're just a fearful person. You're indecisive. Uh, you know, I don't know you 100%. And just know that that's, that's your struggle. Um, I, I tend to be on the other side. I can be a little flippant and a little quick with decisions. And so I know that I need to back off, slow down, seek some counsel. But your personality probably is you get frozen, you get stuck, and you can't make decisions. So you need some people in your life that are going to push you. Hey, you need to make this decision. And let me just say this to you. There are almost never perfect decisions. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to say, okay, is is this the best decision I, I can make with the information I have? And then make the decision and move forward. I mean, obviously you can't sin, but you're not always, God's not always going to drop an arrow for every single thing that you're struggling with and wrestling with. And some of that's because God doesn't care whether you're a doctor or a nurse. God doesn't care whether you're an engineer or a math teacher or whatever it is. What God cares about is that you have a job that you're qualified for, that you can do to bring glory to Him, and so that you can support yourself and support His kingdom. Those are the things that matter to God. So as long as it's not a sinful thing that you're doing where you're causing either yourself to sin or somebody else to sin, God doesn't care about it. So there's just a lot of decisions where we have freedom And for some of us, that scares us. And so that's why we need people to speak into our lives and say, it's going to be okay. Uh, Let's just make a decision here and see what happens. And so sometimes you don't know whether it was the right decision or not until after you make it. So, Mm -hmm. And God's in that whole process. So great question. I'll be praying for you. And I appreciate you. Okay, so we've got two more questions. These are kind of off topic before we jump into Acts chapter 17. So Jonathan writes in on Facebook and he says, I've seen a few articles and videos on the internet explaining that watchmen are prophets that warn and teach about the end times. The most recurring verse about this topic that I found comes from Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 17. Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn people immediately. So who should be considered a watchman, and should we take what they say into account? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is that a watchman needs to be a person that's in a legitimate, verifiable church. So part of my problem with these individuals is a lot of them are weirdos in their van or in their garage, you know, who don't have a life, aren't in relationship, are studying the scriptures, and they're just weird. So all of those people out there, don't listen to them. You know, just because somebody has a website doesn't mean they're an authority. So be very, very careful. Uh, I think real watchmen are watching over the church. They're governing the church. They're overseeing the church. They're actually exercising authority over real people, real institutions, real places. So that to me is people that are watchmen. They're people that are involved in the local church and serving. Um, And, you know, the scriptures are very, very clear. Christ is coming. There's nothing that we can do about it. It's imminent and it's soon. Unfortunately, it's been that way for 2,000 years. So, you know, every generation gets excited and gets caught up in this fact that the imminent return of Christ, you know, could happen. And the problem is they're right. The problem is up until now, they've all been wrong. So we need to not get, uh, you know, overly concerned with that. Here's what you need to do. Be a faithful servant to what God has called you to do, and don't be caught when Christ returns not doing what you're supposed to do. So the most important thing is not worrying about when Christ comes, but it's worrying about whether or not you're obedient when he comes. So focus on your obedience and not his timeline, and you're going to be fine. And that's what we all need to do is when Christ returns, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So for the most part, you know, those people are just trying to scare people. You know, it's like a lot of social media, a lot of, um, you know, talk radio, it's negative, it's nasty, and it's, it's so focused on the end times that they're not any good in these times. And so we need to be, you know, sharing our faith, um, being faithful, serving our church, and making sure that we're living the kind of life that God calls us to live. And if we're doing those things, we have nothing to worry about, because ultimately, the end times are in God's hands, not ours. Got it. 
Our last follow-up question comes from Davina, and she says, Since Christians share the Jewish scriptures and history, why do we no longer celebrate holidays like Yom Kippur, especially since we know Jesus partook in them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jesus partook in those holidays because he was Jewish. And ultimately, okay. you know, that's what we said is, so what is the gospel? If you are a Gentile, you don't have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. If you're Jewish, you don't have to become a Gentile. So, you know, Jews are still free to, uh, you know, listen to those holidays and remember those holidays. I think there's great wisdom in those holidays. I don't think that we need to be observing them. We need to remember, you know, what is the one holiday that matters? That's Easter. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, the Passover event was amazing for the Jewish people. That's not what set us free. Mm -hmm. That's not what got us out of bondage. What got us out of bondage was the crucifixion. It was the cross. And so the Passover was a sign of something that was to come. God passes over our sins because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was crucified on Passover. So really, we do celebrate that holiday, um, but um, it's called Easter now for us as Christians. Other holidays like the Day of Atonement, you know, we have that again in, in Christ, and we know that we are, our sins are atoned for because of what he did. Some of the other holidays, you know, the the Festival of Booths, which is where they remember that they, you know, had to camp out in the wilderness for 40 years. That's not our story. That's the Jewish story. So if you want to go camping, that's great. You know, that's what they do. Uh, you know, there's Festival of First Fruits, and there's, you know, there's about four major holidays that they partake in, and they're all amazing, again, but they're a part of Jewish culture. God has not called you to be Jewish. He's called you to follow Jesus. And that's what we need to remember. So there's great things there, but Jesus followed those things because he was a Jew. And that's so important to remember and understand. But he has not called us to be Jewish. God has called us to follow Jesus. And so hopefully that will um, help you uh, as you try to figure out your faith and um, not get distracted by a lot of the things that Christians get distracted, they, I, I, I've seen, you know, Gentile Christians literally convince themselves they need to become Jewish. And, and, and what that means is it's just that much harder to win fellow Gentiles to Christ. And if that's your strategy, go back and read Acts 15, because Acts 15 is all about, that's not the strategy that works. Mm-hmm. That's not what we need to be doing. So, um, you know, the only things that we need to abstain from are things that keep us from fellowshipping with Jews. That's the only thing. Everything else you know, you can remain Gentile and you can remain in your culture. Cool. Yeah, I think there is um, something that we can gain from, even just like taking the Christian holidays, the two big ones, Christmas and Easter, and really trying to maximize the seasons of Advent. You know, that's one of the things I'm thinking about right now as a dad for our family is what is Advent going to look like for us, right? That's a little over 40 days away. And there are these big holidays, but not just having those days as one-off days, but really looking forward to and trying to make sure that we're fully experiencing everything that God could have for us in there has been been pretty cool. So good stuff. All right, let's jump into Acts chapter 17. This I is thought we were already in Acts 17. Oh no, here we go. Okay. Here we go. That was like walking toward it. Yes. Exactly. This is uh, I felt like we were in it. That was our first j- journey. Now we're on the second. Yeah, here we're, it comes. we're crossing over the Jordan. No, exactly. Well, we, we were trying to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit said no. And <laughs> now we're here in Acts chapter 17. So here we go. Uh, right off the bat, Paul is preaching in Thessalonica. It says uh, verses one through four, Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphiolus and Apollina and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. So he's obviously 
talking and preaching in this Jewish context, what parts of the Jewish scripture would have Paul have been pointing to to talk about the necessity of Christ's suffering and resurrection? Right. Well, we we don't know what specific scriptures because Luke doesn't tell us. Yeah. But I can give you three areas to go look at. So the first is Isaiah 53, probably the most important passage in the Bible about the suffering Messiah. You know, there's some incredible things in there that, you know, you can't help but see Jesus in. It's just absolutely amazing. So listen to this. It says, uh, I'm going to read just a couple of verses here real quick. It says that he was oppressed and afflicted. This is Isaiah talking about the coming Messiah. He did not open his mouth. Remember, Jesus was silent. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, Before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of the people's rebellion. They made a grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and he had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Isn't that amazing? Mm. And so Isaiah 53, and I just read just a portion of it, talks about how Christ must suffer and die. Then there's this incredible psalm. It's actually a psalm of David, Psalm 22, where David is really talking about, uh, it, it seems like his suffering, but we realize it's not his suffering because David was never killed and never crucified. Mm. And so, you know, these passages talk about the Messiah's joints being pulled out, his side being pierced, you know, his tongue being parched, all of these things, people, you know, cursing him and, and not, not seeing him for who he is. And so these passages really deal with the fact that the coming king, the coming one that the Messiah, that the Jews wanted was a suffering Messiah. And that was hard for Jews to understand because what they wanted was a conquering Messiah. And the Bible really talks about two Messiahs. It talks about a suffering Messiah and a conquering Messiah. Uh, Messiah. And so we as Christians know that Christ came to suffer in the first advent, and in the second advent, his second return, he will come and conquer. And so he will be both, but first he had to suffer and die for sinners who needed to be saved, and then he will come and conquer and judge those who did not repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in him. Uh, Another passage is uh, Psalm 16 that speaks of the resurrection, Um, this idea that the Holy One will not suffer decay. And so even though Jesus Christ died, um, you know, Jewish thought was that the body didn't really start breaking down until the fourth day, and so on the third day he rises from the dead. And so there's just this this amazing understanding that you know, um, you know, David talks about the king won't won't die. We all know David died. You can go to Israel with us in 2018 and see his tomb. Um, he's not there. So, or excuse me, his body's not there anymore, but mm-hmm. his tomb is still there because he died. And so we know that David wasn't talking about himself, but ultimately the coming Messiah who came in the lineage. Of King David. And so those are some of the passages. So Isaiah 53, Psalms 22, and Psalm 16 are some great passages to study if you're wondering what did the Old Testament say about how the Messiah would suffer and why he would die. So those are great things. And so that, again, that's why so many Jews go, oh, and they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's interesting, more Jews believe after the crucifixion than before. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is because they understand that, oh, the Bible did say this would happen to him. We just missed it. And, um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. so it's right. amazing. And Paul proved that the resurrection was a part of the story. So that was cool. a great question. We will link up all those verses in our show notes. You can find those at debrief.show slash 36 if you want to read those yourself. Hmm. So moving on, Paul and Silas are now in Berea. And it says that in verses 10 through 12, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, 
as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. So you talked about this some in your message this weekend about the importance of being open-minded. Were some towns just more receptive than others, or was there something that made these specific people more receptive than the other towns? No, I don't know that there's anything that made them, you know, different culturally. Berean water? Yeah, no. Um, Brea does have a great mall, though, if you haven't been there in your Belinda. It's an awesome mall. <laughs> not, not the same place. But um, yeah, no, there's something unusual about the Bereans. That's, I, w- the only thing I could say is that the Holy Spirit was active in their local synagogue. So notice in Thessalonica, they listened to Paul every Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So every seven days, they gave Paul an opportunity to talk. In Berea, they met every day, every single day to study God's Word. And so that's why a lot of Bible studies call themselves Berean Bible studies. Um, Lifeway Christian Bookstore bought out the second largest bookstore in America. It was called Berean uh, Christian Bookstores. And Mm -hmm. so it was this idea of studying, getting to know God. Uh, So they've become famous in church history as people that really, really studied the Scriptures. And so that's what all of us as Christians need to do. It's not about what's my opinion. It's what does the wisdom of God say? What does the wisdom of God teach? And anybody that does that is noble. Uh, And that's really what the word open-minded originally meant. It meant noble, but over time, it came to mean this idea of of being willing to listen to the truth of others. And so so some Bible translations will say um, uh, noble, and others will say open-minded. And really, the word means both. The Greek word means both. And so that's just so amazing that we need to, as Christians, be open-minded to what God has to say to us as far as Scripture is concerned. Mm-hmm. We need to go to Scripture. So the Bereans are a model for how to understand God and get to know Him. They studied every single day, and that's what I do. I study every single day. Uh, today, I'm going to be reading the book of Numbers, just finished Leviticus. Everybody hates Leviticus, which it doesn't really bother me. I actually <laughs> really enjoy Leviticus. Numbers has a lot of names and counting, which, I, you know, but that's where I am today, and I did, I study God's Word every single day because... I need to know it. My wife asked me a question yesterday. I didn't know the answer. And so we looked it up and figured it out together. I've been studying the Bible for 20 years, still don't know it all. Mm -hmm. And I I need to continue to grow and learn. And so um, the Bereans were a great example of how to know God better, study God's word every single day. And so for those of you listening to the debrief, that's what you're doing right now. You're being obedient. You're like the Bereans right now. So congrats. Exactly. You're welcome for being a part of your obedience. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I was just prideful like Paul. Maybe we should do a debrief podcast at the Berea Mall. That is a something to consider. They have a great answer. food court there. I feel <laughs> I feel like you're playing like a trick on me right now and that I should be the one talking about some food court in the mall. No, I threw that out there for you. You know what? I'm sold. Let's you and me, you and me, buddy. We're 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 doing this <laughs> yeah. and we're gonna bring some microphones. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, so now Paul moves on and next he goes to Athens. Verses 16 and 17 say, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So two things I'm noticing here that are a little bit different so far. First of all, Paul seems to be uniquely troubled by what he's seeing here with the idols in Athens. And then the second is that he seems to just be out here daily in just the public square, not just at the synagogues. Um, so what's so different about his experience in Athens? That's... Yeah, it, it's interesting. So, so the word deeply troubled is the same uh, kind of idea and understanding uh, we see in um the Gospel of John, when Lazarus is dead and it says Jesus was deeply troubled, it actually means angered. Mm. Paul's ticked. And here's why. Because Paul knows the one true God. And Actually, I had a great conversation when we were in India with one of those teams that we met there. And I was talking with this guy from North Carolina, from Summit Church. And I said, why are you here in India? 
I said, what, what compels you to come to India and tell these people about Jesus? And his answer at first bothered me, but as I've wrestled through with it, it's amazing. He says, he says India ticks me off. And I said, because he'd spent three summers in a row in India. I said, okay, that's a weird reason to come. He said, my God is the only true God, and it makes me angry that anything else is worshipped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want the world to know about my God because my God loves me. My God sent his son. My God died for me on the cross and my God deserves worship. And at first I was kind of like, whoa, that's intense. But I think that was Paul's attitude. Hmm. Paul's attitude is there's only one true God and he certainly doesn't live in these you know, buildings and he's not in these idols and he deserves your worship. And it infuriated him to see these very, very intelligent people worship stupid things. Mm. And so it angers him because these people should know better. These people are brilliant. You know, this is the center of really intellectualism. This is where all Western thought is birthed, right, you know? Right. And uh, it, it made him mad. And so he literally argued, you know, and I don't recommend arguing, but he argued with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers because he was angry. And he's like, look, I want you to know who the one true God is. And um, it's just amazing. Yeah, and what's interesting, so in verse 18, it said, he, they're talking about this debate he's having with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. It says, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. So you mentioned this, like, these are smart people. We know that Paul's an incredible communicator. Why aren't they understanding what he's saying? Yeah, and I think it's, again, you can't argue somebody into heaven. Remember, faith is not the absence mm. of something, but it's the presence of evil. Uh, the lack of faith is the presence of evil. And so these people are overcome with selfishness and sinfulness and evil, and they don't want to be converted. They don't want to listen. And and really, you know, um, the word babbler in the Greek, it's a, it's a bizarre word. It means uh, a bird that picks up um, little pieces of seed. Um, that, hmm. that That's that's the word. It's like sperma lajolia or something. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. But it's this idea of a bird picking up ideas from others and, and bringing it together. Really, it's just a nasty insult. Hmm. And so what they're saying is, he hasn't even come up with these ideas. He's kind of picked and choose, you know, some other ideas. Because remember, they hear arguments all day long. And and part of that is, we need to remember this, is a lot of philosophies, part of Buddhism, part of Hinduism, part of Islam, part of it's right. There's good things in there. That doesn't mean it's the truth. It means it has some truth, but it isn't the truth. And so, you know, the fact that other religions have kind of figured it out. Remember, Paul says they they that God distanced himself so that they would grope and perhaps find him. So all religions are perhaps finding him but only Christianity reveals him. Only Christianity re- uniquely reveals who God is in the form of Jesus Christ. And so um, uh, it's just amazing that they, they just insult him. So I think their hearts are hardened and they are consumed with their own understanding of, of life, of intelligence and culture. And I think that's what you see in America. I think Americans are arrogant and they believe, you know, all roads lead to the same place and we're all kind of good people and we've created this heaven where it's golf or sailing or whatever. And that's, look, man, heaven is where Jesus is. And you don't go there unless you want Jesus. So, all right. I know that got a little, little heavy there. It's good. I thought it was great. So it says that then they took him to the high council of the city and they said, come and tell us about this new teaching. You're saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. And it should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So was this high council that it references unique to Athens? Did they have any authority in the city or were they really just these people sitting around talking about ideas all day? Yeah, so the answer is yes and no. This is, this is a trip. So the, so the word is Aragopagus 
And so um, what it means is, in some of your Bibles, it's translated Mars Hill. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so why is that? Because remember, the Bible's gone through multiple translations. So Aragopagus really means the hill of Ares. And so Ares is the Greek god of war. Right. So does anybody, do you got, either of you guys know what the Roman god of war is? Mars. Mars. Nice. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's translated in the Latin, Mars Hill, whereas um, in the Greek, it's Ares Hill. So it both means that. So here's the problem is... Um, you know, just like Wall Street, have you been, either of you been to Manhattan? Mm -hmm. So Wall Street is both a thing and a place. So Wall Street, right, is, you know, you say oh, Wall Street, well, really it's the stock exchange market, but it's also a actual designation, Wall Street. Yeah. And so the Aragopagus is both. So it's both a hill and a thing. People gather together to decide there. So here's the thing is you say, you know, did other places have this? Yeah, every town has their own leadership. And we see this leadership in every town's gathered together and either accept Paul or throw him away. These guys are unique. And this is why. Because it would have it would have done Christianity uh, a really really good favor had the Aragopagus of Athens the centerpiece of thinking. So remember, Romans are just copyists. They were they were a great military organization, but they weren't brilliant. Mm -hmm. So they borrow and steal everything from the Greeks. They want to be Greeks. They want to copy the Greeks. They act like the Greeks. They dress like the Greeks. They set their government up like the Greeks. So if Athens would have said, "Oh my gosh." Christianity is a legal and legit religion to be heard of here, it would have been very, very powerful. And I think that's why Paul wanted, mm -hmm. because that would have gone a long way. Mm -hmm. Because we know next week in Acts 18 that Jews have already been kicked out of Rome because of the conflict between Christians and Jews. It's gotten so nasty, uh, and there's such um, turmoil in the city that all, all Jews are asked to leave. Um, because Rome doesn't see a distinction between Christians and Jews because most of them are, are Jews. So um, this this would have been a, an incredible thing had they submitted their lives to Christ. It would have been huge. I mean, this would be like Aristotle, uh, Pilot, or Pilot, Aristotle, Plato, Plato. thank you, and uh, Socrates becoming Christians. I mean, mm -hmm. can you imagine? But one of them does. One of the members from the council does convert. So uh, it's a pretty powerful thing. Today in Greece, the Supreme Court of Greece is called the Aragopagus today. Hmm. So it's their highest ranking uh, governing body in Greece, hmm. so in terms of law. So Paul ends up standing before the council, and he addresses them, saying, Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars has this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing it is the one I'm telling you about. So Paul ends up in front of this council because he was angry and infuriated about this thing, just like we were talking about a second ago. But now that he's actually here in front of these guys, he seems to be communicating in a pretty reasonable manner, like not calling them out right. explicitly. What's what's going on with his approach here? Well, Paul's a genius, probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. And so here, if you want to share your faith with somebody, here's what you have to ask yourself. What is my connecting point? You have to connect with every single person and Paul chooses this shrine to an unknown God. You know, when we were in India, uh, one of our things we were supposed to do is we we're supposed to go to malls. The first place I went to, surf shops. Why? Because there's a connecting point. Mm -hmm. And I could connect about surfing, about skateboarding in India with people. And that gave me an inroads to talk about the gospel or Starbucks because, uh, you know, I love coffee. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got to look for a connection point to where you can bridge the gap that naturally exists between you and somebody that you've just met. And so we all need to do that. And we need to be so wise and ask the Holy Spirit, God, how am I going to connect with this person so that I can share the gospel? 
And good evangelists, great evangelists do that. And that's what Paul did here. And so he picks this shrine to an unknown God, which we talked about in church on the weekend, is uh, agnosticus, which means the unknown God. And a lot of people are agnostic. Well, you know, I, there is a God, but I don't know him and he doesn't know me. And Paul says, no, 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 I'm going to tell you who this God is that you worship in ignorance. I'm going to tell you who he is. So it's brilliant. Um, and that's what we should do. Yeah, you can. I can almost, I guess, picture Paul... He's got some people's attention. Now he realizes they're going to take him to the high council. So maybe he's like trying to cool it down a little bit and really think while he's going over to the council. Yeah, I mean it's better. I mean you win more people with sugar than you do with you know mm-hmm. salt. So how many connect? Okay, so he continues on verses twenty four through twenty six. He says, "He um, describing God here. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs." for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand where they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. So it sounds like Paul's trying to recap many parts of the Old Testament here, the Jewish scriptures, without explicitly quoting from those passages. Um, Is that what's going on? Well, this is a hotly contested. This is one of the most contested uh, chapters in the book of Acts, if not the Bible. And Christians are on both sides of the issue. Many Christians feel like Paul blew it here because he didn't quote the scripture. Mm -hmm. And he tried to, um, you know, be uh, more culturally relevant. Um, I'm not in that camp. I think what Paul did is absolutely the right thing. I think that just flat out quoting scripture would have been utterly useless and worthless for them. Um, what he needed to do was prove the points of Scripture in a way that they understood. So everything basically, except for the fact of God created everything through one man, that would have been new to them. But everything mm-hmm. else up to that point was all Greek ideas. So remember, a broken clock is right twice a day. So what Paul starts with is the two points on the broken clock that are correct. And that's where we, we need to go when we're dealing with Hinduism, Islam. Like So for Muslims, they're right. There is one God. So we can agree there. Now, we're going to part from there, but let's start there with where we agree. They believe that Jesus is a prophet. We can agree with it. Let's start there and then move from there. So always move from a point of agreement. Start there, and that's the wise thing to do. So I think what Paul is doing is he's introducing true concepts that aren't just in the Bible, but were known. So they're, you know, they're, they're in the Bible, but he's not going to quote the Bible because they don't know who that is, but he's going to lead them to this point. Like I said, he does, you know, that God created everything through one man is probably a new idea for most of these yeah. guys. But, you know, they're listening to him, they're tracking to him. So I think Paul is trying to utilize knowable truth, whether you're saved or not saved, to tell people about spiritual truth, and that is Jesus. And that's what we need to do as Christians. Move from a place of universal truth or understanding so that you can teach them about stuff that can only be learned by revealed truth. So, um, you know, a person can't get saved just by looking at the heaven, the moon, and the stars. But they can look at that and go, okay, this is not an accident. So we can lead them from that point where we get them to agree that this is not all some cosmic accident, and we can tell them who created it. And so Paul's a genius. So Good stuff. Yeah. So as Paul is continuing this sermon, it says in verses 27 to 29, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So what does God mean that God's purpose was for the nations to be able to feel their way toward him? Yeah, I, I think what Paul is being here is somewhat sarcastic. So, uh, not sarcastic, it's wrong. I, he's setting them up. So God is really close, but he's also impossibly far away. So he's right next to you, but you can't reach him. 
and you and I can't reach him. And that's the gospel, right? The gospel is we could never reach God. So he's right next to us. In him, we live and breathe and move, but we can't touch him. We can't experience him. We can't see him because of sin. So what did God do? God has to bridge the gap. So I like the word, I think you can translate it grope. They grope mm-hmm, towards him mm-hmm. because what it means is we're, we're, we're stumbling around like a blind person who can't see. And, we, and, and that's, that's perfect for, right, the gospel. We're all blind. We can't see who Jesus is. And so God wants us to search for him, but ultimately the only way we can find him is through Jesus. And so that's what he's setting them up here is you can't find your way towards God. And that's why you guys worship all these things in ignorance. You know, that's why there's all these idols. That's why there's all these temples. That's why there's all this silliness. You know that God doesn't exist in stone or gold or silver, that you can't, you can't make him. You know that, and that should demonstrate to you that you're trying to find him, but you can't. And so God has allowed you guys to do this for a period of time, but now he wants all nations everywhere to come to him. And that's where Paul's going next. It's awesome. Okay, so he continues... Verses 30 through 31, he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So he's obviously talking about the resurrection here, but at first he says this idea about God overlooking people's ignorance what does he mean there, and that God did this for a time, but it's not doing that now? Yeah, for a period of time, God allowed the world to be the world, and he only called the Jews to be faithful to the one true God. So, you know, there are, there are other nations that were like, oh my gosh, the Jews uniquely worship something, and people have always been drawn to the Jewish religion. Um, you know, we see that in the scriptures, yeah. uh, you know, the prophet Naaman in the Old Testament, we see that with the... Uh, uh, the captain of the Roman guard in the New Testament, where Jesus says, I've not even seen faith like this in Israel. So we see other people that are drawn to that, but for the most part, God allowed the world to be ignorant, um, and now he's changed that. He's going, he's going to call everyone in the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, not to become Jewish, but to follow Jesus. And why? Because he's going to judge the world through them. He's going to bring about justice. Everyone longs for justice. Think about the Black Lives Matter movement, right? This this crying out for justice because as great as America is, it's, it's still unjust in many, many ways. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and black people feel that, sense that, experience that, but it's also unjust for police officers who are killed and maimed. And, you know, um, that's the problem of the world. No matter what we try to do, all lives matter. All lives matter. Black, blue lives matter. You know, everyone's like, but we can't, we can't bring about justice. And so that's the thing is we need to be careful that in our cry for justice, we understand that that means not only will God bring justice upon those who oppress us, but God will bring justice upon me. Because why is the world so bad? Ultimately, it's because of my participation in it. Hmm. Because I think about myself. I try to protect my family. I mean, I think about people who think they're good. And what they mean by that is, is I keep to myself and I don't hurt anybody else. And so what that means is they're not actively fighting for justice for those who are oppressed. So goodness now is defined by, I don't hurt anybody else I keep to myself. That's the world's idea of goodness. That is not God's idea of goodness. You know, uh, God's idea of goodness is not just that we're, you know, proactively not hurting others, but that we're actively trying to protect and, and, and stand up for the poor, you know, for those who are, are culturally oppressed or sexually oppressed or whatever it is that we're trying to speak for them and love them. And so that's the thing that we need to remember is that on the day of judgment, man, if it was not for Christ, none of us would be able to stand before God. No one. Because Jesus is the only person who ever lived, that not only lived perfectly, 
but he lived for the justice of all those around him. I mean, why did he die? He died. He gave up his life for those who, who didn't even deserve it. I mean, as he's dying, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's amazing. He's incredible. He's the most, uh, he's not the most righteous. He's the only righteous person who's ever lived. And so all of human history is moving towards this point in time when God will judge, you know, Stephanie's an amazing person, but she's not Jesus. Justin, you're an amazing person. You're not, you're not Jesus. Your name, I think, means justice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, ironic, right? Because you're not. <laughs> None of us are. Um, we all we all long for the justice of God, and yet at the same time, we should be so fearful. We should be so afraid of that day mm. because the wrath of God will pour on all human beings for what we've done to this earth unless we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's warning them is, look, a day is coming when even you, brave, wise, incredibly astute, Athenians will be judged. Mm-hmm. So um, the Paul's speech wraps up and he says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some of them laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what was it about Paul talking about the resurrection that made these people cut Paul off and stop it there? Yeah, so the Greeks, Greeks are... Um, really, really um, peculiar about some things in their religion. And one of those things is this, and we we see this um, as the Apostle Paul has to deal with this in Corinth when he talks about the resurrection. So Acts 15, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection and how it happened, because in Corinth, Greeks had a hard time believing that there was anything good in the flesh. And so what they believed is, is that everything good was in the spirit. And so really the idea is almost like this Buddhist idea, right? That when you die, you escape, you escape the bounds of the flesh. And so the flesh was seen as evil. So it doesn't matter what you do in your body. It doesn't matter what you do with your body, eat, drink, party, sleep with prostitutes. None of that matters. What matters is that your soul and your spirit is good. And that's why Paul says in, in, um, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, can Christ be united with a prostitute? Mm -hmm. Because the Greek Christians in Corinth would go have sex with a prostitute and then worship Jesus because they thought, well, it doesn't matter. As long as my spirit worships God, my it doesn't matter what I do in the flesh. And so when Paul says resurrection, the idea of there being anything eternally good about your body, even if it's remade, was abhorrent to them. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, Greek word uh, for resurrection is Anastasius, which is where we get the name Anastasia. A lot of people don't know that, but... If your name is Anastasia, it means resurrection. That's what your name means. Hmm. And so Anastasis, um, when, when they heard him say that, they just think, oh, this guy's an idiot because nothing good could ever come from our flesh. You know, God, God, God can't even remake this. Everything that's evil in me is in my flesh. And so the purpose of the resurrection, and this is what we need to understand about Christianity, what makes Christianity so radically different from other religions. Like Buddhism's a great religion, right? It's a great way of thinking. But what is, what is the ultimate good in Buddhism? Nirvana is escaping. Mm-hmm. It's escaping this world, these things, all of this stuff. You know, it's like spiritual suicide, right? We're just, we're just gone. The resurrection means that all creation will be made new, that there is a real material hope that's coming. It's not just spiritual. We're not just going to, you know, be in our robes, playing the harp in clouds forever like angels, but there's going to be a new heaven. There will be a new earth and I will get a new body. You guys will get new bodies and God will redeem that which was lost and broken. And part of the redemption is not just my soul, but my flesh, my flesh will be, I will be born again, not just spiritually, but physically. And that's the resurrection. Jesus Christ died, his body perished, 
and he received a new body, a glorious body, one that could walk through walls, one that could do all kinds of things, could ascend to heaven, he could fly, he could do amazing, amazing things. And um, as Christians, we need to remember that this is what life is all about. Life is not about the here and now, but it's trusting that there is a very real next life, very real, and it's forever, and it will be physical, it will be material, it will be real. I will be able to touch you guys, see you guys, know you guys, uh, love you guys. We will be friends forever in a place without sin, without death, without destruction. It will be a beautiful place, and you don't want to miss out on this. And that's why Paul's trying to convince them, look, escape this hell on earth so that you can experience heaven on earth. And by the way, that's what Revelation is. Heaven descends to earth, and it's overwhelming and powerful and incredible. So yeah, Greeks were really, really smart, but just like you know, all of us, we can be really, really smart in one area and really stupid in another area. And so they thought the idea of resurrection was just stupid. So... Well, there you go. That is Acts chapter 17. Next week, we're heading over to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. So we'll continue on with that. If you've got questions you want to get here on the show in front of Pastor Matt, whether there are some uh, follow-up questions from the past, random off-topic questions you've just been wondering to get in front of Pastor Matt, or questions specifically from next week in Acts chapter 18, uh, go ahead and send them over to us. You can just go open up your web browser, visit debrief.show, click the big red button that says ask a question or visit us on our Facebook and send in a message. That's right. And if you are interested in traveling to some of the places we talked about today next summer with Pastor Matt, head over to move.sc slash travel where you can find about our trips to Turkey, Greece, and Rome and next summer or the summer after next trip to Israel. Yeah. And we've Come hang that. out on Mars Hill with me because we're oh, going to yeah, be so right where Paul was. Boom. Oh. There, there you go. Or Aries Hill. And uh, November 1st, that show is when we're going to announce the winner of our Debrief Swag competition. So if you want a chance to be entered to win one of those, uh, the Debrief Hydro Flasks, they're sweet. You can see what they look like on our on our website or our Facebook page as well. Uh, you want a chance to win one of those tasty and wonderful beverage containers that are themed for matching your debrief t-shirts, uh, be, be sure to enter into the, uh, the giveaway on our Facebook page by... November 1st. So we got all, a lot of good stuff happening there. That's right. And if you want to look back at any of the notes from this show, maybe some of the verses that Pastor Matt referenced or links that we've mentioned here, check out debrief.show slash 36. Boom. Pretty sweet. We got a new little website to make it easier to get to specific episodes of the podcast. Right Thank mm -hmm. you. Yes, exactly. Hopefully that helps all y'all as listeners. And speaking of helping you guys, mm -hmm. if Pastor Matt's wisdom has not yet been enough for you, we're going to drop you with some of Stephanie Keene's inspirational I actually thought the episode was over and I was like oh no uh, oh no here oh, we no, go it's here. yeah here it comes it's here. All right. so I want to thank the folks who have been sending over inspirational quotes in uh -oh. all different forms I think I've got them on Instagram I've gotten them through our questions here texted to me uh, the one today is I do not regret the things that I have done but those I did not do mm. I actually regret both <laughs> <laughs> full of regret yeah truth 